Recently, I was uh, going through Facebook and I noticed an ad by a uh, pretty popular, famous uh, preacher in his ministry uh, offering a rather very nice leather-bound copy of the ESV for a very reasonable price. I mean, I it was kind of shocking at first as to why, why they would be offering this quality of a Bible for so low of a price. And so I clicked on it. Yep, I did it. I clicked the bait. <laughs> and I, I discovered it was a legitimate offer. And so I went on to the website and I uh, purchased one of these uh, very nice ESV um leather-bound Bibles for a really very cheap price. Uh, but to get there, I had to offer some information about myself and my uh, email address and my phone number and, and a little bit of my demographic and so on. Uh, since then, I have been getting three, four, five emails a day from this organization and uh, promoting its message, but also mainly promoting the preacher who's behind it. And it dawned on me that I had just bought, I had just took the hook of a loss leader, as we call that in the retail business. A loss leader is any item or product or service that you offer at an extremely low price in order to get the customer, get the consumer into your uh sphere into your circle into your market share once you have them there then you can offer them other products and service services at a regular price or excuse me a regular donation that would be better in this sense so what i realized is that i have been taken in by retail religion i had just bought the bait i had just bit on the hook and I discussed this with a friend of mine a couple of days later, and we began to realize how common this is within American Christianity. Now, underneath it all, however, is this mindset that preaching the gospel, the Great Commission, is to carry the gospel to all nations, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus taught, baptizing them in a Trinitarian fashion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and then teaching them to observe all things that Jesus taught his, his disciples. In other words, it's, it's about making disciples. It's not about obtaining consumers for your religious products. Now, you, you may say, Rick, well, this is rather cynical of you. This, isn't this what just everybody does? And uh, as long as the gospel gets out, what is, does it really matter? Well, yeah, it does. It does, because there have never been, there have, let me put it this way, there have never not been those who assume that what they can do on their own skills and schemes and um, plans business plans, can actually do a better job of promoting the gospel than can the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, just as an example, um, 
Paul talks about himself and his associates as being, quote, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And then later in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So, just in a matter of two chapters, Paul is exposing those who really believe that they can do a better job of promoting the truth of the gospel and and are in reliance not upon the power of the Spirit, but upon their own marketing skills, even in the first century. He says, We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. This website was using deception. It was offering a very nice leather-bound copy of the ESV for a very cheap price in order to get me into their mailing list and then pummel me with emails and solicitations and promotions, shameless self-promotions. Now, If you're a young person in seminary, you're going to get taught that this is the way to do it, at least in most seminaries. And that's why most of our churches are turned into retail warehouses for religious consumers instead of the pillar and ground of truth. This is why you you hear from the pulpit uh, silly stories and long anecdotes about uh, this individual's Uh, experiences, peppered with a a few points of scripture just to make it sound like a sermon. In the meantime, the people in the pews, if they are unbelievers, are not hearing the gospel. People are being invited, generously invited, to come to their church to not hear the gospel, as if getting them into the pew was God's ultimate purpose. And once you're there, once they're in there, once they're a visitor or they're a uh, unbeliever, uh, a seeker, as they call them, quote, end quote, then we've got to be careful to entertain them and, and, and make them feel comfortable. Make, you see what I'm saying? It's a complete reversal of the apostolic ethic. Let me uh, close with just this exhortation here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, he says, uh, beginning with one twenty-six, Brothers and sisters, we think, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, quote, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's a quote from Jeremiah 23, by the way. And then he goes on in the next chapter. It's a continued thought. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my fear, my excuse me, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Where does your faith rest? How were you converted? Were you converted through some slick marketing program at a megachurch? Were you converted by being invited to join the church before you had even made a genuine profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Is your conversion authentic? Are you actually in Christ? I say this with great concern. I say this with deep grief for those who are walking about today believing that because they have joined the church that they are somehow automatically in Christ. This is Reformation stuff, folks. We're getting right back to the to the old uh, medieval ages where we think that being a member of the church means that we are in Christ. We are equating the two again. After all, we want to get people, the unchurched, churched. We want to reach out to the unchurched and make it so attractive and comfortable for them to come to church that, that they cannot help but just want to be a part of it for the social benefits, if nothing else. But that's not what Paul's ethic was. It, was because, it is because of what God has done that we are in Christ Jesus. We are not to boast in ourselves. I can't tell you how relieving this is to me. <laughs> I, I spent 25 years in sales and marketing. My early, my late teenage years, my early adulthood, and into my young adulthood, uh, say from 17 to, to 40, 45, was spent in sales and marketing. I started in real estate sales when I was only 18 years old. And I didn't get out till I was uh, 50. And while I was involved in the church, I was involved in ministry, I was even involved in teaching and preaching. I was also very involved in sales and marketing. When I started Bible college, I explained this to one of my professors, and he was quite excited for me. He said, wow, you, you have this kind of a history in sales and marketing. I said, yes, I sure do. He says, well, you, you have re- you've got an edge. You, you have a real advantage over these other students here at this Bible college. 
You already know how to do all these things. Let that settle in for a moment. Think of what this man was telling me. I don't need to rely upon the, the power of God. I don't need to walk in fear and trembling. I just need to exercise wise and persuasive words. And what the benefit is to preachers like that, what the benefit is is to organizations like that, is that they do not have to rely upon a demonstration of the Spirit's power. They don't have to rely upon God's power. In other words, they don't have to rely upon God. They can rely upon their own devices, their own schemes. Oh, and but they but they look so pious when they're doing it. They look so friendly, so warm and welcoming. And they're so happy to have you quote join the family, end quote. See, it's it's psychological manipulation. They're so happy to have you join the family of our organization. We all want to belong. It's a basic human need. We all want to belong. We're social creatures. We're God designed us to be that. We want to be a part. And we all long to be a part of a family. So when this religious organization says, well, welcome to the family, we, we are something uh, is being manipulated there. We're, we are being... We are being manipulated to think that we're actually joining a family. <laughs> what we're really doing is we're joining a email list so that we can become regular participants and donors. It's just like the mega church mentality these days. Look, if you're part of this big thing, if you're going to a church church with three, four, five thousand people in it. You you've got to be saved. You you've got to be part. Look at what look at how God is quote blessing end quote this church. But you're being lied to on a regular basis, especially about tithing. So, just be cautious, beloved. And 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 this is here here. Let me leave you with this last exhortation. There was a time in the ministry of Jesus when many people believed in him. In fact, early in his ministry, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, John chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. The many, the crowds, it would appear on the surface at that moment that Jesus had been very successful. That Jesus was meeting his ministry objectives and goals and following his plan. Except that verse 24 tells us, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. End quote. 
Jesus didn't jump up and welcome these people into his membership class. In fact, he withdrew from them. He understood what was in man. Do you? Do you, beloved? This is part of following Jesus. We need to follow his example here. We need to be prepared to not entrust ourselves to everyone who simply says they are a Christian, first of all, or worse yet, a leader who says that they are a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist, or these days even an apostle. We have to exercise discernment. We need not entrust ourselves to everyone just because they hang a Christian name around their neck. Just because they use Christian symbols and terminology. In fact, here I go. I probably sound cynical again. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I've never been more optimistic about the, about the nature of the gospel and our hope in Christ. Never been more excited. But my optimism is not tied to worldly schemes and patterns. It's tied to being able to go into a deep dive into the text of Scripture and uncover the truth that sets you free. But most people are willing to live on the, the superficial level. They're willing to live at a level that is somehow um, so superficial, so shallow, that they are susceptible to manipulation and deception. Listen, the only way you can protect yourself and your family from this kind of religious charlatanism is to prayerfully dig deep into a contextual reading of the scripture and find fellowship with other people, whether it's one, two, five, or ten, who will do the same thing and join you. This is more important today. That is, by the way, a working and operating definition of the church, right there. People who are prayerfully willing to dig down into the deep dive of the scripture, uncover the precious truth that's contained there, apply it to their lives, in their worship of God, and their relationships with one another. That is the definition of the church. And if you're doing something other than that, I don't care how big your church is, how successful it is, how popular or famous your preacher is, be careful. The church has given itself over. The churches have given themselves over to this business model nonsense. And you won't find life there. You won't find hope there. You certainly won't find righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit there. Well, I hope you can hear my heart. These things are a burden to me for myself, for my family. I, I spend a lot of time realizing daily now that I have to protect myself and my family and those dear to me from the pseudo-Christianity that is so pervasive in American society today. And I invite you to join me. I invite you to join me and discerning and protecting yourself as well from this pseudo 
false Christianity that's so prevalent in American society today. Amen.